I'm Jeff Murphy from Boston University Alumni Relations, and I'm your host for an interview series showcasing the career paths of our most interesting and accomplished alumni. Welcome to the Proud to Be You podcast. My guest today is author, entrepreneur, angel investor, and podcaster, Peter Shankman. Peter started at BU in the College of General Studies and went on to earn a degree in journalism from the College of Communication in 1994. Peter's best known for founding Help a Reporter Out, which connects journalists to sources. And since then, he's written books and built businesses centered on his ability to channel his ADHD into a superpower. Buckle up, folks, because this is one of our fastest moving interviews to date. Peter, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. There's a, a bunch of reasons why I'm excited to chat with you, but one of them is that you have a really successful podcast of your own. Would you mind starting by telling us a little bit about your podcast? Sure. Yeah, I love ta- talking about myself. Um, thanks for having me. My, my podcast is called Faster Than Normal, and um, <clears throat> Faster Than Normal is the premise and uh, concept that ADHD, or any form of neurodiversity, is a gift, not a curse. Um, when I was growing up, uh, throughout the time I was at Boston University and beyond, um, ADHD didn't really exist. What existed was, uh, Peter, sit down, you're disrupting the class disease. And that led to a very not great childhood. Um, it led to sort of uh, walking on the knife edge of failing out of almost every school. I never actually failed out, but I came damn close. Um, I was on academic probation for all five semesters of my time at, at College of General Studies. Not four semesters, because I had to do a fifth semester where they actually transferred me into comm, but still said, yeah, you're still kind of a screw up. Be really careful. Um, when I got out of school and probably about 10 years into my professional career, um, I realized that uh, my ADHD could actually be a gift. And this faster brain um, that I thought was the reason that I had no friends and 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 and, and the social acuity of a turnip actually uh, was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. And I was able to um, create a world um, that worked for me. And so that's sort of where I am today. Faster than normal uh, came out of my desire to share that and to tell that story to people who are uh, who may be feeling a little different um, to kids, to parents, to people who are just diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, autism spectrum, anything like that, where they have been told their whole life that they're broken. And my parents never told me I was broken, but everyone else did. And so I launched this podcast to sort of prove, you know what, we're not broken, we're, we're freaking awesome. And in the two plus years on, that we've had the podcast, we have weekly episodes. Every episode is only about 20 minutes, because well, ADHD. <laughs> but we've had Tony Robbins, uh, Seth Godin, Keith Crotch, who founded DocuSign, um, Dave Nealman, who founded JetBlue. Um, and these uh, are all folks who identify these as These are all folks who identify ADHD? as ADHD, okay. ADD, dyslexia, yep. autism, something along those lines. And they all have found ways to, like like I have, to use it to their advantage. Yeah. Um, to start, you know, multi-million dollar companies. Uh, DocuSign went uh, public uh, a few months ago and valued some valuation close to a billion dollars. You know, if, if that's broken, you know, sign my up. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm all about that. And, you know, I've had sort of that same success. I'm not, not to a billion dollars, but, but I've started and sold three very successful companies myself. And I think... Probably 98% of, of, of my success comes from my, my differently abled brain. And I'm guessing that you've heard from a lot of your listeners. But again, the reason why I was excited to talk to you is the, the whole, as we were discussing beforehand, the point of this podcast is to give people a glimpse into the careers of folks who've had some success, have them share lessons or learned along the way. My question for you is, can a podcast help somebody's career? 
As as running one or listening to one? Um, listening to one. That, most no, definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. How do you how do you feel like that's the case? I used to date a woman um, about ten years ago or so from the south. And her mom was a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Imagine Blanche from the Golden Girls, a little younger, just so kind and 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 ended every sentence with the word sug, right? <laughs> just the sweetest one, much, much nicer than the daughter that I dated. Um, and uh, she, um, we, were, we were at a holiday dinner at her, at her house down south, and uh, I was commenting on something that someone had said, and she looked at me and shook her head and smiled. Said, you know, sug, the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You know what that is? So you could listen twice as much as you talk, <laughs> which was like sort of her, her southern way of saying, well, you shut the up already, you know, and let's. But I'll always remember that um, we, as a society, especially when we're looking to to try to find a job and looking to start our careers, we tend to use every moment of silence as an opportunity to talk about ourselves, right? And that is, it took me way too long to learn this, but the greatest lesson I ever, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned was to shut up for a while and listen. And any time you have the opportunity to learn something, do not let it go, whether it's a podcast, a blog, Twitter, a, a Facebook post, anything that, that, that any time you have the opportunity to listen to something new and learn something, you might not learn anything, but you know what? You had 20 minutes, you were walking to school anyway, you were walking to class, or walking to a job. You, you, so, so you missed catching a couple of Pokemon. Big deal. Get that. You might find something amazing. And, you know, it, it's funny. I have a day that, you know, is all, all planned out by my, assist, my assistant every day. And I have very limited time. Um, and we can talk about my schedule later because it's pretty ridiculous. I start my day around 3.45 every morning. Um, I get up that early. I'm, 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 I work out first and, you know, to get my brain chemistry going. But <clears throat> during the time I'm working out, that's the time I have to learn. Um, and so that's when I'm listening to podcasts. That's when I'm listening to things I've downloaded the night before automatically, you know, the, the New York Times, the stories of the day, things like that. And um, I don't have time to, to, the only time I have to read the paper is Sunday mornings uh, in bed. I so read the New York Times. I love the feel of print. But um, I get my information super early. And it doesn't matter when you do it, but make sure you do it. And never, never miss the opportunity to get information. And so if there are podcasts that you think might benefit you, or even ones that you think just look interesting. You know, I'm a born and raised city kid. Um, you look at me and you don't think like star car racing or NASCAR or anything like that, but a couple of weeks ago I went down to Texas and I keynoted the Dallas Motor, or the Texas Motor Speedway's um, uh, Motor Week and I was their opening keynote for all their advertisers. Sure enough, for the three previous months I listened to, uh, to, to racing podcasts right. and, and it was surprisingly interesting. So yeah. Well, let's get back to you. You mentioned born and raised in, in New York. How did <clears throat> you find yourself uh, on ComAv uh, for hmm. Boston University as an undergrad? Short story long, they accepted me, but let's let's go for a longer story. I was not, like I said, I was not a good student. I went to high school performing arts, um, the fame school. I got uh, blessed with a very a very good voice. I can sing. I have 20 years of classical vocal training under my belt, which no one ever believes. Um, but I am the guy you want on the karaoke team. Thing was, I didn't want to use... I didn't want to major in singing. I knew that I wouldn't be able to make a career out of that. Or maybe I could, but it would be it wouldn't be fun. And I even knew it. I knew at a very early age I wanted to have fun. I applied to a whole bunch of schools. Didn't get into any city schools. I uh, got into BU, Northeastern, uh, and a couple of others. And I went and saw BU, and I fell in love with it. And I knew this is before I, I you know when you you see the schools, then you apply. Went and visited. I'm like, this place is awesome. Wow, it's all. I love the fact that it was on a street. Um, growing up in New York City, I didn't want to go to a campus where it was like. The only cool thing to do was like pledge a fraternity or, or go to a party. I'm like, I need a city, 
right? And because I grew up in New York, and and so Boston was great. It was it was close enough that I could go home when I wanted to, but far enough away that my parents couldn't just show up unannounced. But it was a city, and I loved that. And when I applied. I'm like, my, I know my grades are not good enough to get in, uh, not by a long shot. So I'm going to apply to CBS or CGS um, on the off chance that they'll see that, that yes, I'm a screw up, but I'm, I'm, I'm a nice screw up. Um, as I told someone, I have a lot of baggage, but it's ma- it matches and it's cute. Um, so the, the key is, for me, I got into BU CGS and without, without hesitation, I'm like, I'm going there. And it, it, was, it was a no-brainer for me. So that's the other reason I was excited to talk to you because of uh, your CGS experience. Um, tell me a little bit about those first two years and what the CGS experience was like. And I'd also be curious to know if, how that helped shape your future sort of career aspirations. So I got my ass kicked at, at CBS. I mean, it was no joke. They, it, was, it was like Navy SEAL boot camp. I mean, you walk in and they're just screaming at you and they're like, here's work, here's more work, here's some more work, by the way. And we're all like, isn't college supposed to be like fun? Nope, not for the first two years here, sorry. You know, do this project, do that project. Um, uh, my, my record for not sleeping was our capstone project at the end of our sophomore year. I, I was up for four straight days. That was a, a, a new record for me. I was having interesting conversations with walls when I, by, the time I, by the time I handed that in. But, you know, <clears throat> it felt like an extension of high school for me in a way because – In a good way or a bad way? I, uh, Looking at it now in a good way, but okay. it was a bad way for me then because I'm like, man, I want, I want to go to these classes and 8 a.m. class on a Friday and this sucks and I want to, you know, sleep in and and they just kept on you. And I realized that the reason they did that, I realized that now, is that they were trying to wean you out. They were trying yeah. to see who's going to fail, who's going to get out of here. Literally, it was Navy SEALs, right? They push you and push you and push you and the people who ring the bell don't come back. If you could survive that, you could survive anything. And getting into calm, like, was my survival. And I, it was... <sighs> I still have dreams to this day that I'm about to graduate and I, 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 I failed a class and didn't realize it like freshman year. Like to this day, I'm 40 freaking six years old. I still have those dreams. Um, but yeah, com, uh, CBS shaped me in the respect that it taught me that if I did work really hard, I could do the things I didn't necessarily love. And that's kind of a, a dual-edged sword in the respect that especially when you're ADHD. When you're ADHD, you can bust your ass at things and just not get them, right? I did, did not get math for the life of me. I still don't get math, right? I just, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I skated on academic probation for five semesters in a row. And by all rights, should not be sitting here right now. Um, I had a very, I had a dean, uh, Dean Donald Dunbar, rest his soul, who who knew, he saw something in me and and kept pushing me and kept me going and you know, I mean, we're talking. I'm, I'm talking when I say academic probation. I don't mean like, oh yeah, I went down to a B minus. I'm talking like a 1.6. Enough that you have to get to know the dean. Personally. Oh yeah, I mean, and and it wasn't have to. It's you will get to know the dean. You will be in his. Your will be in that chair, the Peter chair in his office. I, I when I when I donated money to CBS a couple years ago, I asked if I could donate a chair. Like I want to. I want to <laughs> fund the Peter Shankman get your in here chair, and they wouldn't let me. Do it. But yeah, I mean, for me, it was really just about. Um, they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me, and I realized that. I did have some talents. I needed to refine them, but I think I think getting out of CBS and into Com and making and making that surviving that was one of the first times in my life where I looked in the mirror and actually believed in myself. Um, it didn't last, you know. I'm, I'm sure. And within an hour, I went back to thinking I was full of crap. But for that hour, I, I, it was awesome. So you went on to Com uh, and finished with a degree, a degree in journalism. Yeah, Were you I, thinking the whole time you might end up being? A I knew writer, how to write. Journalist? Yeah. I knew how to write and how to take pictures. And and that and that pictures I discovered in college thanks to Daily Free Press. I started shooting for them, and it turns out I was good at it. Writing has always come naturally to me. But again, that's that's the beauty of ADHD. Writing comes incredibly naturally. Um, 
the other side, math, science, not so much. So you, you focus on what you love and you do it really, really, really well. And it was hysterical because I didn't come. And, you know, the first week, the first class, first assignment, it's like, okay, I want you two pages on da 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 da. And I'm sitting there just scribbling, like, done. It's like, okay, yeah, that was due. It's due next week. You, you can go, no, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's fine. You know, I'm like, all I have to do is write two pages, and that's my week. This is a joke. You know, after after two years at BU at, at, at CBS, it's like this is this is like a Hawaiian vacation. It was it was it was amazing. My two years of com were, were just insanely yeah. ridiculously easy. So other people, either from CGS, we keep talking about CBS versus CBS. Used to be the College of B- Basic It'll always studies. be CBS to me, but yeah, uh, it, is, yeah, it is CGS now. now. Of General Studies. Uh, so CGS or Com, other faculty or folks in the BU community that really stand out as having shaped your experience? Yeah, there are two. Um, and, and I'll be blatantly honest, one is incredibly positive and one is incredibly negative. Um, the positive was a wonderful professor in Com named Jim Bran. Mm-hmm. And Jim... Um, gave me my first directed study and I actually he actually mailed it to me about a year ago he got back in touch and he sent it to me out of his files it was called uh, the uh, something that the new world of journalism will be run by something called the world wide web mm. and oh no but will be run by something called the information superhighway here's your on ramp it was the worst paper title oh my god it was so hyperbole but um, but yeah he, he let me do my own thing and that was I got an A or an A minus from him uh, writing that that paper, and it was the first time I ever realized that I could do. If you just tell me what to do and you give me a deadline, I'll get it done. And that was a massive wake up call for me because I that I think, and I don't even think I realized it about ten years later. But that was the first time I realized that um that uh, I didn't have to be monitored all the time as long as I had parameters, I could I could do what needed to be done. And um, so yeah, Jim is is Jim Brand to this day one of the one of the most influential people in my lives. On the other side, uh, there was a, a photography professor named uh, John Robayton, and uh, Professor Robayton uh, flat out to my face told me he's like, I really don't see any creativity in you. You should go for something like accounting. He's like, I don't even know why you're here. And when I, you know, it was perfectly within his right to say that. I don't I don't think as a professor I would have phrased it the same way. But okay. Um, Fast forward a couple of years, and I land my first job, and just through random twists of fates, my first job in the early 95, after leaving BU, or graduating BU, my first job was um, one of the founding editors of the America Online Newsroom. And it was 90, it was 19, early 96, or the summer of 96, at the Democratic and Republican conventions. And the Democratic convention, um, or I'm sorry, it was the New Hampshire primaries, even before the convention, the New Hampshire primaries. So we, a bunch of us, myself and two other editors, we flew up from D.C. to Boston and then drove to New Hampshire to cover the, the primaries. And I stopped by BU and I went to see Professor Robayton and I said, hi, I didn't even remember me. And Peter Shane was like, yeah, yeah, how you doing? What, what are you doing with yourself? I'm like, well, I'm the um, photo editor at the largest online newsroom in the world. Um, you're still teaching your two classes a week at the basement. That's cool. It's, hey, it's been it's been good. You know, hope you're well. And and I, through several years of therapy later, I learned that I don't necessarily have to carry that grudge anymore, and I've let it go, and, and I can yeah. enjoy the moment now. But yeah, it was a it was a it was a that was a nice moment. You're talking about the early '90s, and you're talking about the future and the information superhighway. So in so many ways, I mean, I I, I know I didn't have an email address until 1998. So you're you're ahead of the curve on that. Do you leave BU knowing that you're going to go into this? new media tech and and are, are you already having the entrepreneurship ideas at that time not even close no okay. no entrepreneurship but i knew that new media internet i mean i had an apple IIe at home and i was programming and and badly but i was programming and i knew that there was something there and i think and in halloween and i 
you know, they say that you have those moments, the, the butterfly effect, you have those few moments that define the course of your entire life. And had you not done that at that moment, at that second, whatever. Uh, October of 1993, my senior year, because um, I graduated in 94. October 93, I'm sitting in my room on Halloween night. Of course I was. I had no friends. And um, there's a guy in uh, who is in the dorm who I become friends with named Lee Sarfati. And Lee comes to my room. He's like, hey, dude, my mom is uh, – my mom just started working at this company in Virginia. Um, it's really cool. You can get online with it. Here, Here's a disc. And it was an American Online disc. And – and that got me on to AOL. And I had been on America Online back in the late 80s when it wasn't AOL. It was called um, Apple Link, right? And then I totally forgot about it. And then senior year, I had a modem, a 1200 baud modem, whatever. And I get on to um, AOL as PS Photog because I was a you know, dork. And um, that that started my, you know, a year later. I was in something called the Melrose Place TV gossip chat room. You can go look that up. But um, I'm, I'm in this chat room, and someone in the chat room says, you know, my company's trying to build a newsroom. Why don't you submit your resume? And I did. And two weeks later, I had no idea what the company was. And I said, oh, sure, I'll be great at that with absolutely no experience. And learned that sarcasm doesn't translate well online. Two weeks later, I was being moved down to Virginia and became one of the founding editors of AOL. And, you know, one of the things I did learn at BU um, that I continue to use in my life um, is the concept of, of say yes and figure out how to do it later. That is has has. Is that the same as fake it till you make it? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. uh, what's the line from the West Wing? Um, uh, Have faith and faith shall be given to you. Well, it's from the Bible, but then it was written uh, said again by by uh, John Spencer in the West Wing, and that is the truth. You know, fake it till you make it. The premise of I'm gonna. Uh, who doesn't want to go work for the for AOL for the mothership? And uh, shit, yeah, I'm gonna go down there. And then took this job and had no idea what the hell I was doing, but you know, had incredible bosses like John Barth and 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 Steve Case and Ted Leonsis and. Very, very fortunate. I listened to every conceivable word they could give me, and I, I sucked all that information up and came back from AOL two years later, back into New York, late 97. Oh, my God, you worked at America Online. And we want to hire you. And, and I took a job with a magazine, and I lasted for about two weeks. And that was the moment I realized I don't know how to work for other people, and I don't play well with others. And I went out on my own then, and here we are. I, um, You and I have a friend in common. Kirsten says hello. Oh, of course. Love Kirsten. Um, told me some things about you and uh-huh. said that I need to ask you about the sandwich board. Can you tell <laughs> that story? Um, so I came back from AOL, and I had all this AOL knowledge. And all that. I knew that I could get a job. I knew I had all this experience, but I, I this was before online job boards. Um, the only online job board out there was something called Career Builder, where they would basically copy and paste all of the jobs in the want ads and you would just apply but primarily you were sending out um, resumes by mail we've talked for 15 minutes and you know enough you don't know me but you know me enough now to say do you really think I'm going to sit in my basement and send out resumes by mail back when I was 20 whatever no of course not Um, (laughs) so I said why should I go and find all these jobs when I can have the jobs come to me and I took my resume and I blew it up by four feet uh, four feet high by about two and a half feet wide um, made two copies and pasted them together on pa- poster board and taped and, and used rope around my shoulders and made a sandwich board of my resume. And I got up at five in the morning on what turns out to be the coldest day of 1997, go me, uh, went into Manhattan, went to 51st and Park Avenue because I figured all the people coming off Metro North, all the people coming out of Grand Central, they'd all have to see me. And I stood in the corner with wearing my sandwich board and handing out copies of my resume to anyone who wanted them. I, I handed out close to 1,000 copies, 8 by 10 copies of my resume. Um, I went home that night in my parents' basement. I froze my ass off. I'd gotten a voicemail box number because I didn't want uh, people putting my home number down. 
I had gotten sick. I had a cold. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I took the I threw the sandwich on the ground. I took a hot shower. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go to bed. I'll check the voicemail, but I'm gonna go to bed. This is bullshit. I believe I did this. What a waste of time. Um, you know, dial the number two 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 voice mailbox two seven one nine. You have four. I'm like, great. It's all day for four hundred thirty seven unheard messages. I had 437 unheard messages. You, you can imagine the scene. I'm in my underwear. It's like midnight. <laughs> I'm in my parents' basement. Um, I, I'm on the floor with like half a post-it note and a pen trying to write down 437 voicemails. You know, I run out of paper on both sides. My parents' cat wanders in. I grab the cat. I start writing on the cat. You know? um, long story short, it led to 79 interviews and 37 offers. Um, and the job I took was with a magazine, a pretty well-known magazine. The irony, though, is that literally I lasted two weeks before I'm like, I can't work. Because I, the reason I, I did so well at AOL was, again, they didn't give a you worked. And that goes back to the, Jim Brand and, and the directed study, just get it done. That's all AOL cared about. All of a sudden now I'm like, what do you mean I have to be in at 830 and punch in? And this is this is BS. I don't want you know. And that was sort of the wake-up call for me that I could do things on my own. You are, I know you're leaving here to go do a talk, a, a keynote for the College of General Studies. And I don't and know. a if, distinguished lecturer is the actual title. Lecturer, Let's just yeah. go on right. The guy who, who had five semesters of academic <laughs> probation is the, is the, guys, there's hope for you. Whatever you're doing that you think you're screwing up, there's hope for you. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I, I don't know if that story will come up, but what... That was 20 years ago. What's what would you tell current BU students or our you know recent graduates? What's the 21st century equivalent of your of the sandwich word? Yeah, there's always room for creativity. There's always ways to be different. Guys, here's the thing: we are in such a the bar is so ridiculously low for good ideas and for customer experience and for awareness. Think about your last flight. How much did your last flight suck? <laughs> Right? I always ask that. Someone says, oh, no, I had a great flight. Well, what made it great? Well, we took off on time and landed on time. Right. That's what you're supposed to get. You're over the moon because you didn't fall into the Indian Ocean or get dragged off the plane by your nose. Right? The bar is so low. And that goes for, that goes for creativity. That goes, think about every movie that's been rebooted. Are there really no good ideas anymore? Right? The bar is so low. I don't need you to be awesome. I need you to suck a little less. And, and it's so easy to do that if you're just willing to step out of your comfort zone for a little bit and not care what other people think. That was probably the best thing I ever learned in my life was that the second I started not caring what other people thought about what I did, I became free. And yeah, I'm going to go stand on the street with a sandwich board. And sure, people are going to laugh. But you know what? I've been laughing all my life. Who cares? Maybe this or at least I'll make some money. Mm. Right? And it's, it's that, that premise that the only thing I'd say differently between now and 20 years ago it is massively important today that you brand everything you do, right? So everything you do, no matter how tiny you think it might be, you never know what's going to blow up. You never know what's going to go viral. You never know what's going to explode and, 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 and put you on the map. So make sure people have a way to go back to you and find out that you did it. Um, in 98, after I left AOL, I wanted to start a PR firm and had no money. And it was the summer of 98 and the movie Titanic was coming out on video. I took my rent money, had 500 t-shirts that read it, sank, get over it, printed them up, went to Times Square and figured if I could sell 180 shirts, I'd make my rent money back anymore. I'd, I'd be able to start have a profit and start my PR firm. I figured it would take about a week to sell 180 shirts and I sold 500 shirts in six hours. I called a reporter the next morning. I leaked, I told her the story. She's like, that's funny, you're selling the shirts online now? I went, of course I am, as I'm fake typing. <laughs> Built the worst website in the world. And she said, okay, we'll see what we can do. I forgot about it. Woke up the next morning at 5.30 in the morning. It was my hosting provider asking me if I started advertising. I said, no, why? I said, sir, normally you get about 100 visitors a day. Most of them are you. Thanks. You've had 37,000 unique visitors in the past two hours. Story ran on the front page of USA Today, listing my website. If I tried to do that today, I'd go in Times Square, I'd hold up my first shirt, some idiot with a camera phone would take a picture, and within 20 minutes, there'd be 15 Etsy shops selling my shirt, right? You gotta brand what you do back to you. Make sure you have your name. Try to get your name on every single platform. We have no idea what's gonna be, you know, I don't think Twitter's 
going to be around in three years, but I still have at Peter Shankman on everything. At Peter Shankman on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn, on Peloton, by the way, if there are any Peloton writers out there, follow <laughs> me. But yeah, you got to do that. You got to make sure that you have, your, um, that you have your, your, your name and that you brand everything back to you so people can find you. I've only been chatting with you for about 20 minutes. Have you always been somebody who comes up with these great ideas or is that something that you taught yourself to do? I have always been someone who's come up with those great ideas. I think that it wasn't until 2000 when I started my first, 1998 when I started my first company that I figured, I was able to figure out how to put them into practical use. You know, I would, go, I would, I wanted to take apart, the, I took apart the toaster when I was four because I wanted to see how it worked. Um, putting it back together didn't, what wasn't in the cards. But you know, that's the kind of person I was. Um, I, I wanted to find, you know, my, my, one of my mom's favorite quotes uh, is when she told me, Peter, nothing good ever happens when you paint the cat. I wanted to find out what happened if you painted the cat. You know, would the cat's fur uh, be able to shake? You know, could she lick off the paint? No, not, 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 that doesn't happen. But you know, that was my whole life was, was what happens if. And the concept of what happens if is, is the thing that not enough people do, right? People shut down after they hear what happens. Oh, what happens? Oh, it'll never work, right? Oh, but what if it does? Right? What if it does? What if, what if it's really scary, but it takes off? Right? More ideas have been killed, not because they're bad, but because people have been afraid to start them. And, you know, my whole premise is as long as what I'm trying to do doesn't cause an international incident, doesn't wind me up in jail, um, or doesn't kill anyone, why the hell wouldn't I do it? What's the worst that can happen? It'll fail. Okay, great. If it fails, I learn something, it'll start something new. So, um, uh, I don't want to boil down your 20 years as an entrepreneur to just a couple things, but is is help a reporter? I had heard about help a reporter yep. out long before I knew who you were. You found that mm -hmm. is that the thing that puts you on the map? Is that one of the things that stands out as being your, one of your you know biggest Harrow is one of the big ones, definitely. Um, Harrow is one of the big ones uh, for me. It was um, it was pretty awesome. It was one of my creations where I'm like, okay, I want to see. I know a lot of reporters. Um, I know a lot of sources. I mean, again, when you're ADHD, you talk to everyone, right? I have a Rolodex like the side of a mountain. If you're on a plane next to me, like unless you fake your death, I don't know everything about you by the time we land. It's just what I do. Only two people have ever faked their death. But um, so knowing all these people, I would put this thing together and this started to help a reporter out, which, you know, the goal was always to help people. Well, it became a very profitable free service that connected journalists with sources around the world. And um, by the time I sold it to a company called Cision, otherwise known as Pure Newswire, um, it was acquired uh, uh, for sort of a life-changing amount of money for me, and and three years after I launched it, and so that was one of the major things that put me on the map, and that was sort of the business and customer relations side of things that is a lot of my speaking. I, I speak to, to brands all around the world about uh, customer experience and how to do things just a little better. But the faster than normal, the ADHD side of things, I published faster than normal the book last year and it became a bestseller. That's sort of starting to take off as well, and I'm starting to talk to universities and people and schools and and, and businesses, especially businesses who need to understand that 35% of their workforce and their customer base is going to be neuroatypical within the next 10 years. If they don't know how to either retain that talent or mark to those people, they're kind of screwed. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in direct contact with students every day, but I know that BU students and our young alumni all sort of have this um, entrepreneurial spirit and think about yeah. being their own boss yeah. at some point. And I'm, I, I know that you'll have folks lined up to chat with you after your, your address this evening. What what are those lessons that you've learned, the advice that you have to share with folks who tell you they want to be an entrepreneur? You know, you've, you've obviously tapped into your own superpower, but what are the other things that people need to know about being an entrepreneur and how to, how to be successful? Well, the first thing I would say is as my, my motto is um, uh, it's a good book out there. It's a self-published book called uh, uh, 
JFDI or just effing do it mm-hmm. uh, by a woman named uh, uh, Gabrielle Ribeira. She um she published this book last year or this year, and it's basically just just go do it, right? If you're an entrepreneur, if you want to be an entrepreneur, go be an entrepreneur. I had a running coach once who told me that if I wanted to run faster, just run faster. I'm like, what are you? Oh yeah, okay. Um, so you know, be, just do it. But here's the other thing. No matter what you're doing, there are two schools of thought with entrepreneurship, and one of them is wrong. One of them is the school of thought, and Gary Vaynerchuk um, uh, 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 subscribes to this theory. His theory is if you are if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to work your off 24 hours a day, and if you only have three hours between your regular job and after you put your kids to bed and you have three hours to sleep, don't sleep. Only sleep one hour and live your that. You know, that that's bull. You're going to wind up dead, right? My school of thought, which I'd like to think is the right one, is you got to take care of yourself first. If you are not putting your own oxygen mask on first... How the hell can you expect to do anything for others? I've been in this industry for 20, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years, literally 20 years, two weeks ago. And in that time, I've lost three friends to suicide, all of whom are entrepreneurs, all of whom thought they had no one to talk to. That's bull****. We're killing ourselves. You know, have a tribe, have a group of people who understand what you're doing because they're entrepreneurs as well. I I love my ex-wife. We are still phenomenal friends where we are great co-parents. She never got what it was like to work for herself because she never did it. And so I'd come home on a bad day and, and, and she was very... She cared and she wanted me to be happy, but she said, you know, I don't understand you could have a bad day. You're, you work for yourself. You can go work anywhere. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. You know, and you, you, if you can't separate work from entrepreneurship from your life, I mean, it's okay to have, to live, breathe, and, and, and eat and sleep what you do. And it's great to be passionate about it. That's awesome. Passion will get you really far. But if you don't have the time to stop and say, you know what? I need a mental health day. I need a mental health hour. Um, that's why I get up so early. Because from I get up at 3.45. From 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., I'm working out. I'm on the bike. I'm, 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 I'm running, whatever. I'm getting that dopamine. I'm getting that exercise. That is how I, I take care of myself. And on days that I don't do that, I don't have that good of a day. Understand your triggers. I quit drinking because... The speed at which we're talking is the speed at which I run my life. So I didn't have one drink. I had six because they were there. And I wouldn't do anything stupid, but I wouldn't wake up as early the next day and then I'd feel like crap. And then it would start a cycle, right? If you're an entrepreneur, chances are you have that that very passionate drive and that very passionate – if entrepreneurship is for you, you're very passionate about what you do. And so you're constantly go, 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 which is great. But you have to understand where your liabilities are in that. Um, you know, there are people in this world who – come home from work and they decide they don't want to cook so they order a pizza and they have two slices and put the rest in the refrigerator that's called leftover pizza I've heard this I've never had leftover pizza in my life if there's a pizza there I'm eating the pizza right you have to understand um, what your triggers are mm. and, and how to and how to get by them and that's one of the big things that you don't necessarily get a lot of help from, uh, for or a lot of, a lot of learning about when you're becoming an entrepreneur because it's just not talked about right you have to understand that that being an entrepreneur is lonely as hell and you have to have people who can you can relate to who you can go and say you know what I think I have a problem or I think I'm having a day or I think I need someone to talk to and and if you don't have that it's very dangerous to be an entrepreneur Peter we've run up against our time I'm really thankful that you've you've been able to carve out some time for us in your schedule and I know that BU has continued to be an important part of your life you've made some uh, sizable donations to the university thank you for doing that and you've also been involved with the College of General Studies uh, on the Dean's Advisory Board real quickly what has that you know why did you decide to do that and what has that experience been like for you I think the first 60% of why I did it was just to be able to say (laughs) I almost got kicked out now on the Dean's Advisory Board no I'm kidding Um, a lot of, of why I do it is because I don't I don't ever want a student to feel like I felt um, my freshman year and my sophomore year when I was just like, why can't I get this right? Why can't I pass this test? Why can't I improve my grades? I know I'm not stupid. Why? What the is going on here? What am I doing wrong? 
And that's why I'm here tonight to give this lecture as well. I, I want, you know, I, if there's if one kid walks out and says, okay, maybe I have a shot, I, that to me is worth more than any keynote fee I've ever gotten in my life. Cool. If people want to learn more about you, see some of the books that you've read, yeah. uh, written, what's the best way for them to I am an up? open book, and, and the one thing I promise you is I respond to every email sent personally. I don't have my, my assistant controls my calendar. I'm actually not allowed. You notice you never <laughs> talked to me about booking this, right? I, I, don't, I don't have right access to my calendar. She took it away about nine years ago. No, no joke. I scheduled two dinners on the same night on separate continents by mistake, and I'm, I, I'm no longer have right access to my access to my calendar but I answer every email personally and I answer all my my uh, all messages you can find me at peter at shankman.com is my email smartest thing I ever did was by shankman.com in 1995 I am at peter shankman on all the socials and I actually run a mastermind group uh, for entrepreneurs where we where we have a tribe and that's at shankminds.com and the ADHD stuff is faster than normal.com so yeah tons of ways to find me please reach out I'm happy to talk thanks again Peter cool My thanks once again to Peter Shankman for joining me on the podcast. We only had time to scratch the surface of Peter's incredible story, but I highly recommend checking out his podcast, Faster Than Normal, or visiting his website, shankman.com, for information on everything that he's involved in. Thanks again for listening to the Proud To Be You podcast. If you like what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review Proud To Be You wherever you download your episodes. I'm Jeff Murphy, and no matter where your path takes you, be proud to be you. The Proud to Be You podcast is produced by Boston University Alumni Relations. Our theme is from Jump and APM Music. To learn more about Proud to Be You, visit bu.edu slash alumni slash podcast. <laughs>